Hey everybody, welcome to Know Your Breeder. Today I have an OG California grower by the name of Dave Crockett. So uh, anyways, hey Dave, are you on the line? I am, I am. Hey, welcome. Here. You you go way back. Um, but b- before we get into it, I wanted to ask you, where are you uh, joining in from and what are you talking Oh, uh, well, I'm in California right now. That's where I live. Um, That's where everything started. That's where most of our facilities are. Um, and uh, I'm smoking on some, what do I got? I got some, oh, this is some new stuff. I got some Trop Cherry times Blood Orange ch- Tangy. So we're oh, trying. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sounds like a fruit bomb. Oh, yeah. It's like just oil in your mouth. It's it's crazy terps. It's beautiful color, like a lavender, a bright lavender color. Um, hopefully we'll be releasing it maybe in the summer or something. We got to run it uh a couple more times and find a great uh, or a good pheno. Oh, cool! Yeah, that's uh, so. This is unreleased stuff that you're working on. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Hey, you know, I wanted to just for anybody that isn't familiar, um, I was hoping you could give us just a quick skinny on uh, the tangy and the stra- strawberry banana. Those are probably your most popular ones. If, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I've had a few different cuts of tangy. Um, when it came around, I don't remember it being like anything else around. It was like really like an, I'll call it, I'll say a nose catcher. Like you immediately was like, whoa, what is that? And, uh, and it really pretty to begin with. So if you could just give us a little bit of a, the rundown on those, uh, I'd appreciate it. Sure. So the, the Tangy is an, an, an older strain from, um, you know, when I was a kid, uh, we, it was, it's been around for a very long time. It's just been, basically inbred, 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 inbred for years and years and years because it's been around so long that um, that it was it kind of precursors that everybody's saving a cut and having a bedroom and everything else. And and uh, everybody would just generally grow outdoor from seed back then. So uh, we took that and uh, and uh, worked with it, found some phenos that we liked, narrowed it down to one, started breeding with that and created the tangy. Um, it's uh, uh it really took storm in or it really uh it, it took it took every the, the industry by storm in probably 2012 2013 14 maybe 15 uh yeah during those, those days the um the bho was was very popular and the shatter and all of this stuff and um a lot of the shatter back then didn't have any uh flavor it was very uh kind of uh just a black like, like a, well, a lot of it was clear. Like, like, right? Remember, you wanted it. You wanted it to be so refined that they took everything out, and it was just yeah. like this piece of glass. Um, but uh, Tangy was one of those things that that most of these hash makers back then could, uh, like, if they were going to uh, run a pound of material, they could throw an ounce of Tangy in there, and all of a sudden it had flavor, you know. And um, so it really started winning a lot of awards uh, during those times. Um, you know, and then a lot of people fell in love with the flavor. It's kind of a 50, 50 thing, to be honest, like half the people in the world don't like it and half the people in the world like it. So that's fine with me. Um, you know, and, and then it stemmed off so many different, uh, varieties out there from all the tropes and all the forbiddens and all of the, all of these things have some sort of tangy in the genetic, you know, which is kind of cool. Uh, strawberry banana was kind of made differently. It was almost an accident. Uh, me and my uh, friend in 2006 
2005, 2006, uh, we crossed uh, bubble gum with a bunch of stuff. And one of them was the banana OG and it just came out strawberry banana. And, um, and it's basically a clone only for the original. And then we made an S one in Europe and released that a long time ago. And now, um, it's available on our website now, but it's been, uh, just kind of passed around and so many hash makers love it because of the returns and the quality and the potency. Interesting. So, it, I mean, do you think that the Tanji was one of the varieties that were just really terps uh, when it came out? I've never heard that before about, uh, you know, it being such a friendly uh, ash maker. Well, I'm interested about that. Well, you, you know, the, the yields on it weren't so friendly, um, you know, as far as like collectible resin, especially turning into raws and like they knew that they do nowadays. But uh, back in the day when they were running a lot of BHO, like I said, they would mix it with a lot of things yeah, and give it flavor. Um, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's definitely. Um, so strong in, in terpenes and flavor that it's 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 overwhelming to almost use by itself. And it's one of those that, you know, back then too, like nowadays you wouldn't want to do it for rosin, but um, you would harvest early to get the more sweet orange juice type of terpene profile. Uh, if you let it go a little longer, it turns into like a burnt orange or a burnt rubber orange. Um, yeah. the, it definitely changes um, as it matures. Um, so, you know, we were doing a lot of that stuff back then. Um, when that stuff was coming out, we had some of the biggest greenhouses and the first big automated greenhouses in California. And uh, we were supplying most of the major hash makers uh, for BHO and uh, they couldn't get enough of it. It was just unbelievable it's where the flavor is. Yeah, we were one of the first people to actually start to fresh freeze things. I remember some of the biggest growers and the, some of the biggest names and everything. was like, what are you doing? You're just freezing it? And it, they couldn't believe it. They just couldn't believe it. Well, it but, sounds crazy, right? I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> who came up with that in the first place? You, you know, I don't know. Actually, not. Well, you know, um, I'd have to think about it. You know, we were doing a lot of work with uh, a few different hash makers and they were they were I, I was never into making hash. I was always into providing material and getting hash made. Um, and I forget who it was that was asking me about it. And then I just started hearing about fresh freezing, fresh frozen, whole plant freeze, like all of these different techniques. Um, yeah. I couldn't pinpoint on who actually coined it or or did it. But oh, I mean, yeah. Well, you were it's from the hash makers though is, is kind of where you got introduced to it and then uh you just had the perfect variety to kind of supply their their flavor needs it sounds like yeah well i mean at that time it was really hot you know so um you know everybody wanted it and we, we had a lot of other varieties too that we would supply everyone because we had a pretty large facility and and at that time i mean i think i should have taken stock into like like maytag or whatever these freezers because i I don't know how many times I went and bought like 28 foot, you know, chest freezers and was delivering, like delivering fresh frozen everywhere. But, uh, you know, we, we eventually got into a, a smarter way to do freezer trucks. Did, did something change where uh, they got away from that or do they still do that? No, they still fresh freeze. Yeah, they, I mean, the a lot of the most, the, the better quality stuff is, is fresh frozen, I think, nowadays. Do you, 
I'm sorry. I mean, like, uh, do you still see Tangy being used as sort of like, I'll call it flavor enhancer for, you know, uh, for hash making? Yeah, I, I, I've noticed that the, the actual production of Tangy um, on the commercial level has, has, has decreased. So I see a lot of these other um, varieties that have, you know, that they've bred with Tangy to give it an orange or a citrus or a tangy. Gotcha. And, and a bigger guess, yield, I guess. Yeah, bigger yield and and easily collectible resin and and just different different things that they like to use that, yeah. you know. Gotcha. I hear you talking about uh, like the freezers and things like that. And, you know, at some point as you get bigger uh, with growing, it seems like you know, it's inevitable that what you're really doing is creating some sort of fat, right? And you need all the equipment to go into it, all of the, uh, you know, HVAC, and then the equipment for processing and everything. So I'm curious to know, just because uh, if I remember correctly, you grew up literally on a farm, right? You know what the most important time in your grow is, is when you get that harvest down, you want to protect that stash, man. Boost Integra Boost, Integra-Products.com. Boost has the two-way humidification control. You're not going to get it too wet. It's not going to get too dry. And have an indicator card to let you know that the Boost packs are still working for you. So protect your harvest, whether it's just a couple grams, carrying around in your age all the way up to seven pounds with our 420 gram pack. Integra-Products.com. We'll hook you up. Coupon code DUDE. And don't forget, their boost sticks are out. Check out their boost sticks for pre-rolls, man. It's a great fluid humidification stick that'll slide right in with your pre-roll container. Super great way to keep them fresh. Integra-products.com, coupon code DUDE. I'd like to know, like, just from your perspective, how things have changed over the years. And, you know, is it better? Well, I mean, uh, the, the biggest change is the legalities, right? So the legalities were... And back then, very harsh, and you could go to jail and all of this other stuff, lose everything, lose your property, lose everything. So when you say I grew up on a farm, it wasn't a farm. It was a house in the mountains. And, gotcha. and we lived in the mountains so we could hide the crops. And, mm-hmm. and so That's the crops would never be grown on your own property, ever. They would usually always be grown on forest service land, things like that, because you didn't want it to be tracked back to you, you know? So that was the way that you had to kind of do it. It was all guerrilla farming. It was, um, you know, crawling through the bushes and and growing outdoor plants, which seems like a very hard thing to do, but you got to imagine too, back then, not only were the prices, you know, $3,000 a pound, but the availability of getting quality what they would call like green bud kind bud kind bud you know yeah. all the stuff like it was almost it was a precursor to like strain names i mean there were strain names don't get me wrong but it was it's not like it was today it is today it was just kind of a a genre of of not brickweed you know it was a, a fresh yeah. like an And it was harder to get. So if you could come off with even something small, like, you know, 20 pounds or something, that's $60,000. And that could support a family in 1985 for a long time, you know? And um, so that was then, you know, as far as, you know, it started turning, obviously, in 1994 with uh, the Proposition 215, um, you know, and, and we got the medical laws in California, 
uh, still everybody didn't trust them for a few years. So nobody went, they, everybody thought that if you'd go to the doctor and get this prescript or, or this script, right. Um, yeah. this recommendation, uh, that you would be put on some sort of list or you would, uh, you know, the government was going to find you somehow for doing yeah. this, you know? Yeah. So nobody really trusted it until like, say, you know, maybe 98, 99 is when I started seeing like people like putting plants in their yards and like growing. And then once the 2000s hit, it went crazy. I mean, there was just, <laughs> there was smart pots in everybody's front yard, backyard, back porch. I mean, they, <laughs> around here, there was those, those fabric fences that, that surrounded these gardens and every block, like every, not we don't blocks, but I mean, every day. Yeah drive down the street and there's oh there's a farm there's a farm there's a farm there's a farm you know it was just everywhere and it went crazy after that it was everybody grew 99 plants for a little while there you know yeah but it's still mostly outdoor though it's, it's, it, well then it was, it was well it, it you know come come the late 90s we were growing inside but they were a lot smaller you know you'd have 10 20 lights or something that was a pretty big garden uh, yeah and uh uh you know, as far as when the legality started hitting, it was like, oh, I can grow these things outside. I, I grew 50 plants and I made all this money. And now that money I, I put back into a greenhouse or a bigger or an indoor grow or better factory, better factory right? And, yeah. and that really funded a lot of the, the companies that you see not... Not the the MSOs and stuff like that that have just hopped in to the industry, but the the normal people and the the breeders and the and all this stuff. A lot of them came from that 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 was their capital. That's where they got the money. A lot of them did. You know, it was uh, some sort of successful outdoor situation or something that that got them enough money to make a bigger factory. Yeah. So, like when you started, it was, and I kind of remember this too because I'm old dude. But um, man, we were happy to get weed. I mean, we weren't real picky as long as it wasn't brick and it was fresh. Um, we were good to go, man. And you just took it as it came. And, you know, part like fall was the best time of the year because that's when all the indoor came in and that's when it was around. And um, so as, as this was happening and, you know, it was kind of like, let's say supporting family and being lucrative, where or what sort of uh, turned you on to going from growing to breeding? Well, I had always done it, right? So we'd always been making seeds. And uh, I uh, really started making my own seeds and trying to make different varieties as the legalities got easier to to kind of do it, you know? And, um, and uh, people started really liking it. And I started selling a lot of bulk seeds to a lot of the outdoor growers here in the mountains and, and, and here and there. And, and then I went to Amsterdam and I uh, went to the Canvas Cup for like the first time. And uh, I was like, wow, you know, and I seen all these seed breeders and I seen all these people and I started talking to them. And a lot of them didn't really didn't really even um, have a grasp on on what they were kind of doing. And and um, not I'm not mentioning any names, but um, then I met DNA. And these guys were killing it and these guys were really doing it. We hit it off. We came, became great friends. And, uh, 
And uh, we started sharing genetics and making things. And and they really got me into the facet of of breeding and selling to the public, not just yeah, not just breeding for necessity, like not just breeding for my next year's crop or breeding because I want a new variety to grow or something like that it was more of breeding for the public. Like what did the public want? What, what do I want to, how do I want to represent myself to the public? Like, what do I want to bring to the table? And, uh, that's kind of what got me involved in, in actually making seeds for people. That's cool. Cause you know, like at first it was like you were saying, I mean, you, you just, you know, happy to have something and not be busted. And then, so you're breeding for literally preservation. You need to have seeds for the next season. And uh, even though you're doing some selection and I guess, you you know, I mean, you are technically breeding, doing that. Um, but really your focus is just on seed production. And then, um, and then a little bit later, that's when it really starts to change and gets more into people breeding for a variety, like a specific type of flavor or uh, some other plant characteristic. And uh, it sounds like you are really drawn towards the loud, like fruity, uh, you know, smelly, pretty kind of weed. And, and so I'm, I'm guessing that, um, you know, that was kind of a, a motivator for you is to just kind of, you know, see what you could find and just keep making that butter. Well, my, my favorite types of, of weed is, is the types that I can smoke or have in my pocket and you could come into my house and be like, Hey, you got tangy in your pocket or, or in your pocket. Hey, you got this. And if you can name that strain just by coming in and smelling what I smoked half an hour ago, that's yeah. what I like. That's the, you know, you know, what's awesome is that, uh, I just love, love the people like you that I mean, your primary motivation is to impress your stoner friend, right? Like that's, that's what motivates me. Oh, yeah. is, I mean, as much as I like to <laughs> consume it myself, but so, so different from my friends. And uh, I love to show up with something that's different and, and have that reaction from your friends. Like, oh, what is, it? you know, so uh, shout out for that. That's uh that's very cool <laughs> of you. And, and uh, I can feel you. Um, so anyways, uh, just moving on as far as uh, your genetics library and kind of growing, you, did you kind of develop a, a grow style or do you have like a, a perspective on growing like a preferred method um, just in terms of, you know, breeding and or seed production? Yeah, well, my preferred method is is soil and organic farming. Um, we get a lot of help. Shout out to Brian from Vital, Vital Garden Supply up there. They have the best products. They um, helped me kind of uh, dial in a lot of my stuff. Um, but that being said, um, you know, I've designed facilities and done things throughout my career that have not just done breeding, you know, I've done a lot of different things. And, and so there's different situations for every type of growing. If you're in the, if you're in the middle of the city and, and, and you have a hundred lights in the, in some building, um, maybe you don't have space for a soil yard. You know, maybe, yeah. you, maybe you can't get a truckload of soil. What are you going to do with all your other soil that you just used, you know, and all this stuff. So maybe rock wool is a little bit better for you, you know, um, greenhouse, uh, facilities. I generally always, that's always soil outdoor, obviously soil, but, uh, I like indoor soil as well. If I'm going to do it on a more personal level. Um, yeah. um, that's, that's my, my preferred method of growing. Do you find that there's, um, Sort of, I mean, the game I think changes a lot with scale. 
So, you know, being sort of a home hobby grower, uh, you can just go crazy with the organics and, you know, clean inputs and lots of care and all of that. But um, I've heard from a number, number of people, and uh, maybe you're one of them too, um, where, you know, once you get up at scale, you can't really do that. It doesn't really work as well as, like you were saying, it might be rock wool and salts, but, um, you know, it doesn't work for everything. So I'm curious, is there, have you noticed the same thing or do you grow differently at scale than like you would for your own, you know, head stash? Definitely, definitely. I mean, the, the, if the, the big thing for, for taking it to scale is, is the experience of your employees, your employees are, are a big deal. So when you're a hobby garden, you're doing everything yourself. You can blame yourself. Yeah. It's wrong. You can, you can take care of it. You can look at it every five minutes to make sure the temperature and the humidity and everything is right. You know, yeah. you, can, you can take off a leaf and you know every plant's name and you want to switch them around so it gets better light and under this. I've <laughs> <laughs> never heard that before. Well, you, you know, I mean, well, I mean, the, the, the name of the variety. I don't actually yeah. name that would be pretty funny, but like, you know, oh, hey, this is a tangy and there's the strawberry banana and there's a sour banana sherbet and you know, all of that stuff. And you know exactly what it looks like just from growing it. I know what you mean. When you're in a scalable facility, especially some of the very large ones, you might not even see some of your plants throughout the entire grow. You see, that sounds so, that sounds so crazy to me. Like eyes on them, you know, so you have to have a facility, you have to have people, you have to have technology to, to be able to grow that to a, uh you know a commercial level of quality yeah. i and i say that in a very loose way because it's it's very difficult to to grow commercially like and get quality like you would get out of a boutique garden you just amen it's, amen it's that's very, very quality it's 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 weed for the masses is is what it really is and and then there's yeah. the, all, all sorts of different quality things that people would never even really think about. You know, I mean, if you ever smoked a pen in your life, that's not a really good rosin pen. <laughs> I mean, you've heard of distillate, haven't you? Uh, yeah, for distillate sure. Distillate is the some fake turps, man. Yeah, ninety nine percent of all pens ever sold were distillate, and and um, and distillate gardens grow like this. They you lease a piece of land. You buy some auto seeds or some photo seeds, but usually auto on the, you know, the spring. Yeah. Plant them all out there. 65 days later, you harvest them, but you harvest them by just letting them lay on the ground. The sun makes them brown and dries them out. Then you collect them, buck them with all of the fan leaves and everything on them. Mm. Put them into a thing. Then they make distillate out of it. Then they put it into a pen. And then they add a little bit of terpene in it and say, this is a, a sativa pen from the sativa fields of Northern California. And this How? is not, that's not weed, fields. It's just, that's not weed. It's not what you want. It's and there are weed. companies out there that are really making great rosin pens that, that are viable and commercial. I mean, they, they, there are And Colorado has a bunch of them. So you guys are really hundred percent. I will attest to that. Um, and just a quick shout out, cause they're my favorite, but, uh, that logic, um and laser cat uh there's a couple other ones but those that those play those guys are just crushing it they have uh amazing genetics and then they're what they are producing is just so clean and delicious it's it's amazing and it's to the you know the secret's out too because now you have to kind of work to get it it's uh you can't just go to the store and just buy it you have to pay attention 
to when the drops are and who's got restocks. And yeah, you almost don't earn it. Yeah, I got it's an, amazing what difference in, in quality. You know, there's that huge gap. Oh, huge. And I I mean, I got a I got a whole box full of these cards um that were just beautiful rosin cards. I'm not gonna promote the companies or anything, but but uh they got me that they got dust to form on my rigs because I just wasn't even I was like, I don't even need the rig. I just got all these pins. I was just taking different carts out and trying different hits. And <laughs> yeah, I, it, they were so good. And so I, I, I see that as a, as a very, very cool thing for the future of the industry of people that yeah. are actually paying attention to those sort of things and, and catering to the people that really want quality. Um, yeah. And, and I appreciate this. It, it, to be fair though, it is expensive. Um, it's, uh, usually 50, 60, bucks for a gram if not more um and so you know not everybody can afford that i certainly can't afford that all the time uh you know it's a kind of a special treat and so those other products do have their place in the market um you know you get what you pay for i think is pretty much true in any kind of business that you know any kind of sales you know retail kind of operation um so you know it's good that people have a choice um, and I was kind of curious just uh you have a wide it sounds like you're familiar with a wide wide variety of yeah, uh, I'll call them factories, you know, and scaling up. And so when it comes to uh, breeding, though, um, and I heard you say that you're, you know, you have the public in mind. Um, and then also, you know, like some of your stuff has a lot of terpenes, like the tangy for sure. Um, so I'm curious, like what drives uh, breeding? Like, do you have uh, some different lines for different reasons? Or is it, uh, you know, personal uh, favorites or what's commercial or what is what, how do you approach, you know, when it's time to make selections or make new seeds or, or whatever, what is your sort of driving force behind them? Who is it for? Well, I mean, our, our, Excuse me. our catalog is, is pretty large. Our, our, our library is, uh, it's probably 300 plus, um, mother plants that we just have, uh, for future use and breeding projects you know, thousands and thousands and thousands, like, like literally maybe 5,000. I'm just guessing. I have no idea Yeah, uh, of a, a seed stock that we have of different genetics that we've saved. That's uh, crazy. That we've made and, and from other people too. Um, right. but, uh, the, the, uh, the breeding part is, is, you know, breeding for people and breeding for packs, breeding for Crockett family farms is, is more of what I like and what I kind of find in the industry and what I find in interesting. I like to mix a lot of the old with the new. I like to, it's more about experimentation and finding some new terpene profiles. It's, it's, it's about, you know, breeding things that I think people would really like to smoke and to run, um, the breeding for, you know, you always breed for purpose. You always want to have something in mind when you start a breeding project, but, uh, seed production is, is more of taking something that you know is good. Something that is, that you've already tested that people love that you have some sort of client or some sort of reason for breeding it. Um, you know, a lot of that would be, um, for bigger fields like the distillate fields and stuff like that um you know they they've got a they've got you know time limits and they've got um you know weather and pests and they have to hit certain percentages on their on their stuff and then 
that that's what they need for these seeds. So we breed specifically for that and we sell, you know, big, large amounts of seeds to a lot of these companies that grow large scale fields, but those aren't the types of seeds that, that generally go into the packs. Um, gotcha. Sometimes they are, um, because some people grow the big photo fields and stuff too, and they'll want different, different things. Yeah. But so breeding for that is more of like something you already know is good and you're going to make 5 million of them. The, the projects is, are the, the breeding for packs is more of on a smaller scale and experimental, uh, you know, it's, it's more of a, yeah. yeah. That's awesome because, you know, that's one of the themes that uh, I try to bring on to this show because um, I want people to be more educated about buying steeds and breeders. And, uh, you know, when they're shopping around, I want them to be able to recognize that, you know, not everybody has, not all breeders are working towards the same thing. There are a lot of breeders today that are working um, and developing uh, packs where the, the main purpose of them is so that you can find something unique and like you're the only one that's going to have it. And that's great. And there's a lot of people that want that. But at the same time, that is not what a commercial facility wants. And it might not be somebody or something that somebody wants as a beginning grower. Uh, I see so many people asking about tangy because they've had, it. and then all of a sudden where they live, they can now grow. And so their thought is, Hey, you know what, man, I remember that tangy I used to get, I want to grow it. And so it's awesome that they're able to pick that and grow it. And, and at the same time, there are facilities that have other seed options um, where they can grow something that is going to yield it's going to finish in eight weeks it's still got flavor and and so on and my point is that you know there are different reasons for doing things and i want people to know unless you know like you're a really good example you you've been around for a long long time and uh you are involved in sort of i will call it like all levels of of the game right going from your own personal hobby grow at home uh to larger i'll call them like more industrial facilities and you know, everybody that's out there, like the seeds that you want to grow for those two things are completely different. And so um, I would always, you know, if you're at home and, you know, you, you want to be looking for, uh, you know, the the folks who are making packs for the home grower. You don't want to be looking for the people who are making packs for the big industry at large because you're probably going to be disappointed. You're not going to get it something as sort of unique or exotic or interesting or maybe even quality. Um, when it comes to kind of those, you know, hobbyist, you know, apps that are kind of made, made with art in mind. And it's okay that it's not the biggest yielder, but man, the flavor is ridiculous or, you know, whatever it is. I think the, the hobby grower, you know, you, you've got a, a set, different set of priorities. And, and, uh, so anyways, thank you for, for making those available. And, um, the other thing I wanted to comment on about that is that you also provide genetics and sort of what I'll say is all the formats, right? So you have regs, you have feminized seeds, you also have autos. And then I also noticed that you have uh, clones now. Um, and I think there was only two varieties that I saw, but they were both award-winning strains. And um, I think that's really cool to have sort of all of those options for somebody in order to try your genetics. And I don't see a lot of other breeders doing it. So we also we also have hemp. We also do. <laughs> yeah, we do hemp. Personally, but that's great to hear. Yeah, we we we've actually got a really big account, and uh, we're we're doing some work with uh, a couple of uh, universities to try to to produce some some high fibrous hemp and to, to produce some hemp that uh, right right now the big that big hemp push is is um, 
carbon farming. So the the government has uh, uh, some subsidies that you can get as a hemp farmer for the amount of carbon that you take out of the soil and the air. And um, so we're we're working with them to to develop strains that that specifically go into that type of stuff. Is that different? So is that sort of a different uh, breeding goal from let's say high CBD, no THC? Uh, no. Is it? Yes. Um, so so this is more of a phytoremediation. It's more of a, a plant remediating toxins or heavy metals or different types of pollutants from the air and ground. So. Um, you can plant a hemp plant in um, or cannabis plant for that, but um, yeah. you can plant a hemp plant in like say a sour field, like a field that is uh, heavy in like copper or something like yeah. that, where things can't grow because they've over fertilized it, they've overworked it, and it's just it, they've just used this field up. Well, you can plant a bunch of hemp in there, and the hemp will actually pull out and store them in the plant. And that's why they test for heavy metals in cannabis because it stores them in the plant. And um, and uh, you can remove those heavy metals from your field with this plant. You can also do it with radioactive materials. So it's places like Fukushima and things like that that have radioactive um, wild fallout and stuff like that. Uh, hemp yeah. plants can help do that. In addition to that, you know the the amount of carbon. I think the I think the standard is one ton per acre. So I think you get $160 or something per acre of hemp um, that you grow from just taking the carbon out of the air. And then when you can prove how much you've remediated out of the ground, they can give you an, an additional money for that. And, um, and uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a cool thing because then you can use the hemp for like, you know, fiber and, and hempcrete and things like that. Yeah. So when it, when they are uh, removing those toxins, is it, you can still use the the biomass for things? Yeah. For, for industrial stuff. Um, you, okay. you use it for like um, CBD production or smokable hemp or anything like that, because, you know, there's the toxins in it, but you can definitely, you know, use it for other industrial purposes. Do you have any uh, experience or knowledge with what's happening in that industry, like construction? Like, I remember there was a big thing about concrete, which Jeez. is kind of like, yeah, is it like booming? I don't know. I'm not exposed to it too much, but I would love to know is it, if, it, if it's growing. It's growing. It's it's not so much booming. I, I'm in uh, I'm in contact with two different uh, companies that um, use uh, that make hemp hempcrete and uh, hemp textile, bioplastics, um, things like that with hemp. And uh, they can't get enough material to to uh, they have more sales than they can they can. Wow. Time to so start a hemp farm, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's the thing, you know, if you can scale it and grow it and be able to do it, it's that's big ag farming. You've got to be a farmer. It's not growing a beautiful hemp plant that you need like biomass and as much of it as possible. Tractors and land and like you know you need a lot you need a yeah lot. yeah it is uh so when it comes to that industrial hemp then is it uh allowed to just pollinate in the field it is it is in certain areas i mean there's uh certain areas that it's not in the county that i live in 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 california there's no hemp that they uh, okay. you know, i'm sorry i'm hemp here I'm sorry. Outside of regulations, though, I mean, would the practice be? You don't really care if it has seed. Like this is what I'm asking. 
No, a lot for of industrial them. purposes. I, I actually make a whole bunch of regular hemp seeds for people um, in several states that you wouldn't even think of um, that uh, they grow it just for hemp seed oil and for seed production. I mean, the the hemp, the big, the the three Fs, food, fiber, and fuel. That's That's what you're trying to get off of hemp, right? So the hemp seed is food. And uh, there's a big push right now to get larger hemp seeds, either through making, you know, genetic alterations through making like triploids and and and, and things like that, or just finding breeding into different plants that make bigger seeds, because the bigger the seed, the more product that you get. It's that's the yield that you get. You throw everything else right, away. Right. You don't throw it away. You you use the rest for fiber. You collect the seed. You either make hemp seed oil or you sell the seed, you know, as as, you know, seed flax or whatever whatever you want to use it for. But um that those are actual th- those are products that have been around b- way before legalization of anything. So I mean, these people have been I mean making hemp oil and and stuff like that for years i mean um we only got off the the hemp train in in the in the early 1900s before that it was all about hemp yeah so for victory (laughs) yeah it's fascinating to hear that from you because i um you know it seems like you have a really sort of a deeper bigger understanding uh cannabis and hemp is a plant like I don't know. To be honest, when I when uh, I was kind of researching uh, before we did before we were having this conversation, um, I knew you were a cannabis breeder and all of that, but I had no idea that you had so many uh, like uh, what's the word? There, there's so many facets to it. Um, I don't see a lot of breeders that are um, you know also familiar with industrial applications or um, the food applications of of hemp, and it's all the, essentially the same plant. And so that, that's just. That's fascinating. Like you have covered, I think, all of the bases when it comes to literally that plant and what it can be used for. And it's amazing. There's so many things besides just smoking. Yeah. I mean, when we started making seeds, you know, um, I started just kind of seeing like all of the different facets and, and aspects of people that would need seeds. Like who, who needs seeds? Who, who needs a million seeds? Who needs five million seeds? You know, that, 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 that's impossible. If I, if I had, you know, 5,000 packs of tangy, it'd take me freaking five years to sell them, you know? So, I mean, it, yeah. it, and then that's not even very many seeds as like, whatever, 50,000 seeds. Um, these people are buying millions and millions and millions of seeds multiple times a year um, because they need to grow their fields. And they, they, like I said, it's a lot of it's big ag. So it's, it's what varieties make me more money. Are they cheaper to buy? Do they give me more product? Is there some reason that I need to buy my seeds from you and that I can make more money? And that's, that's the whole deal on the commercial aspect. Hence the commercial part of it. Right. So yeah, it's not commercially viable. Then you're going to go out of business, um, on those big, those big levels like that, you know? Yeah. To to be honest with you, it's, that's, 
not as much fun <laughs> to, to you don't get to smoke it right I mean, yeah yeah but it is kind of cool to see like these giant fields and like these tractors going over all of this because you know you could go to jail for a few plants back in the day and now you're standing in the middle of all this stuff you know yeah and, and, uh, it is a it's a sight to see and I, I i like to see it go in the right direction i i'm i'm pro anything cannabis like anything i don't I don't, uh, if you use it for a purpose, if it's a medical use for you, that's great. If it's a recreational use for you, that's great. If you like to just sprinkle it on your food, whatever you like to do, with it, I like it. You know? I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> Nothing to be scared of. It's all good. Enjoy it in your own way. I don't, I don't, don't have a, yeah, you don't have to do a lot or a little. It's, it's all up to you. Whatever's going to put a smile on your face or make you feel better. That's really what it's all about to me is uh, I love that that sort of reaction from people when they're just, you know, they're kind of relaxed and they feel good. They got a smile on their face and, you know, it just makes the world a better place, right? It does. <laughs> Definitely does. Awesome. I think everybody just needs to sit down and smoke a joint. I think the whole world would just take a breath. 100%. Mm -hmm. well, I have one last question about the hemp stuff, and, and that is, um, is, is most of that domestic or is a lot of it either getting exported or, or imported? Because I see a lot of, sort of hot spots popping up. Uh, we've got some buddies who are out in Africa now uh, mm -hmm. growing. And uh, I know there's some people who've moved down to Colombia. Um, and it just seems like in more and more places around the world, if not uh, cannabis, uh, definitely growing hemp for industrial reasons. And they got to get the genes from somewhere. So I was just curious if if it's really more of a global thing. It's definitely a global thing. Um, as far as Crocker Family Farms, a lot of our stuff is domestic. Um, we are worldwide, though. We do sell seeds all over the place. But I would yeah. say 80% of our hemp seeds go domestically. But that's okay. the reason. When when I make hemp seed like that, when I make like enough like that, it, it's, it's a big cost to make that many seeds. And um, so I have to have like a client kind of lined up that wants those seeds so right we don't just kind of like make them and then see who wants to buy oh, them hope someone buys yeah yeah we have to kind of have yeah, that i got you something in mind that makes sense well, well thanks for sharing that with us i've never really uh dug into that at all and it's fascinating i'm going to uh just switch it back here i've got one more question about your uh genetics and then um i have some questions from our audience that i'd like to ask you um but anyways the first one is uh, what just to go back to the clones for a moment. So um, I have noticed that there are not a lot, but there are a few breeders who are making clones of their work available from the source. Uh, and the thinking is kind of like, hey, if you don't want to run a pack and do the work, um, you can buy this clone and you can have it and, you know, you're good to go. It's coming uh, from the source. So, you know, it's real and, and so forth. And um, I see the prices on those and some of them can be a few hundred dollars. And um, invariably, we will get a few people in the comments who just cannot believe that someone would pay $350 for a clone and what a ripoff. I could yeah. get this whatever for free. And I'm curious, just as someone who's actually doing this and is a reputable breeder, has excellent genetics and is selling literally award-winning clones, what do you say to them? Well, I mean, let me see if I can convince them. Um, <laughs> So you, so you can go on my website and you can buy strawberry banana for a uh, hundred dollars and you can get that pack of seeds and you're a hundred dollars in and then you can plant those seeds into your tent 
And so you take your tent now and you plant all the seeds and you grow all of those seeds out and you take clones off of each one of those because you want to make a selection because you want right. to get a clone and you put those under another light out of your tent somewhere. So now you're taking care of these clones and you're taking care of these plants. And now you veg them, say, a month. So you're, out, you're a month in. Then you flower them for two months. So you're three months in. You've taken care of these clones and you've taken care of this harvest. You harvest it down and you found one. You're like, this is the strawberry banana that I want. Now you go back and you get your clone and you have one clone of it. Now you mother it out <laughs> yep. for about two months. And then you take clones off of that. And a couple weeks later, they'll root. And then you take those clones and you put them into your tent and you veg them for however long you veg, two weeks to a month. Yeah. And then you flower them out for two months. And now you've got off your first harvest. It's only cost you $100 and one year of running your, your facility. A year. Maybe, well, maybe nine months. Maybe. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, no, no. I've only been eight months. You know? Where is and, time involved in doing that? And, and money, because it costs money for electricity and soil and, and all of your stuff. Or you could, you could spend 350 bucks. So it's like buying three packs of seeds. Right. Take the clone, veg it out, take a whole bunch of cuttings off of it, and you're going. And you're you're running. Yeah. And you're ready to yeah. go. And you you're already ready. have a, you know you have a win. And you have the selected variety that I selected that that made the variety famous. That that made that I mean, not saying that you, I mean, I'm not saying that you couldn't buy a pack of my seeds and have a better variety than mine, because there is out there. I mean, there that's that's just a matter of time before that happens. But yeah, but this is a this is a for sure way very quickly. To get started and and forgo all of that other stuff to where if you want a strawberry banana you can just buy it and put it right into your room or you can get the seeds i'm i'm for either way like some people will say well i like to hunt the seeds well then buy the seeds some people will say hey i just want the strawberry banana i want the one that won all the yeah. you yeah. know the one i had before i want to yeah. breed with it i want to do this with it i want to do whatever you know that's then the clones probably your better option and as far as the price point i mean it's it's very minimal when you consider the amount of nutrients soil time electricity everything that you're going to be putting into those seeds to try to get the same thing yeah so i wish yeah i, I really want to try to get the message out there that um, you know, when you're looking at a reputable breeder, not just some person that just showed up on Instagram, but when you're looking at a regular breeder and you look at their prices, they are generally going to be based on the amount of time and effort and energy that went into making those, those varieties. And, um, you know, it's the longer you're around, um, to me, the more credible you are in terms of, you know, people, if, if you're still around, people are buying your seeds and they must be having success to, you know, to continue to buy them. So just wanted to throw that out there as kind of a way, you know, when you're shopping is, you know, take a look at the breeder, what they do, what they, you know, how much work they put into things. You know, if you notice that it's just two, two, cro two things crossed and that's it and you're done. I mean, you probably shouldn't pay a lot of money for it and that's okay. But if, you know, you're paying extra, you, you should be getting something that is, you know, a known winner. And uh, it's, it, in a lot of cases, it's worth, if not all cases, it's worth the money. 
And and for us, I mean, we haven't raised prices one time since we've been in business. Really? That's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. No and everything else that's happened and all this other stuff, you know, I mean, yeah, prices we had in 2012. So, yeah. And if, I mean, if I may, it sounds like, you know, your business isn't reliant on one thing. You're you're uh, divested, if you will. And um, I would imagine that that also helps you, you know, have have time and energy and, uh, you know, kind of the uh, just to make those home grower seeds available. Because I imagine yeah. those are those come at a higher cost of time and and things like that than sort of commercial varieties, let's say. So yeah. I, I, is that true? They kind of yeah. kind of levels out, right? And you're able to do everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're not uh, focused on one particular facet of the industry. Yeah, my, I, I mean, I getting the seeds to the people is my favorite thing. The input, the input, and and just just things that happen other breeders breeding with my stuff like i i love all of that i i I really love it the commercial aspects of it are are more of the monetary and trying to fulfill orders that for companies that are are needing our products yeah there's i would imagine there's a bunch of businesses and and therefore families that depend on all of that commercial activity and uh you know you got everyone's got to pay the bills man but it's really great. I guess what I'm saying is that you're still focusing and have time for sort of the fun part of it because uh, most of the folks who are listening are, are probably in that camp. They want to, they want something cool at home uh, to grow. Um, and actually, I have uh, speaking of which, good transition. I have uh, a few questions from our audience, um, and uh, let me read these to you. Uh, I'll start off with uh, Oki Grower eighty eight, and he asks. What cultivar out of all your work will be most suited for a beginner tent grower? Thank you for all the work you and your team put into this. Grow love. Beginning tent grower, um, you know, uh, the probably the sour tangy. Sour tangy is uh, just a a bulletproof plant. Um, You know, it's it, it does what it does. It doesn't get out of control on stretch or height. It's not hard to grow. It's not hard to clone. Um, it has an amazing terpene profile. Um, it's, it's very, very strong. Um, and it's unique. I mean, you can get sour tangy seeds and you can kind of get an array of, of, uh, different terpene profiles that lean certain ways. So you can get it really tangy or you can yeah. get it with more sour and, and um, oh. you can kind of pick the, pick what's right for you you know <laughs> Fems or regulars or autos what, what um those are we we have fims and and regulars uh right now that's we're not on that but we uh we'll have them soon okay cool that's uh that's awesome i do notice uh i, I haven't grown a, a ton of fems but um you know when you're growing uh just in like a two by four or something that sure is nice not have to worry about males so um, yeah. all right cool. uh next i have a question from Crawdaddy. And uh, he wants to know how, this is a good one. I love this question. Uh, how is it working with your pops? Asking as a dad. But seriously, how is it working with your son? That That's my dream one day. I'm hoping he finds the same passion and love I did. It ain't easy. And I'm a father too. I can definitely speak to that. Well, what do you if you asked me how it was working with my pops when I was a young man, I would have probably given you a different answer. Yeah, because <laughs> I was digging, it changes over time. I was doing a lot of the 
backbreaking stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's an honor. It's, it's really a, it's a, it's a privilege to be able to work with your loved ones and, and be able to do it well. You know, a lot of people say, you know, working with family is the family and friends is not what you should be in business with, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, but we, we got lucky with that because everybody pitches in and everybody does, we're all focused on the same trajectory, even though my, my dad's not really involved anymore. But, um, uh, my son is is intricately involved. He is, he is going to, to be taking over the business and he is doing massive amounts of work. I mean, everything from the science of it to, you know, the sales, like he, every aspect of our, of our company, he knows how to do, he knows how to turn all the knobs and flip all the switches. He knows, he knows everything really. And he's, he's, I've gotten to a point now where he's teaching me a lot of stuff. So, um, you know, I, I, Oh, wow. You, you know, I mean, sometimes it's the old dog thing, you know, it's like you, yeah. Uh, I get stuck in my ways. He's like, Hey, listen, there's this new product or there's a new technology or, Hey, everybody's talking about this, or you need to meet this guy. He's got this new innovative, like innovative, uh, harvester or, or whatever it is, you know? So yeah. He keeps me. That's up. so cool. That's just, uh, it's really cool. I, I imagine you started him sort of at the, at the bottom uh, rung of the ladder and, uh, just let him learn everything. And man, that's just so cool. Like what a great way to kind of raise your son and have him fill your shoes as, you know, you get a little older and you don't have quite the energy that, you know, a 20 year old or whatever has. And it's good to have, you know, someone that you trust and love to kind of carry on what you're doing, man. So respect for that. That's a great job. Definitely. It's a, it's very, very, uh, I'm very proud of, of being a part of it and creating this type of situation and proud of him and, and my daughters, I have three daughters. They're really involved. My but I can't go on enough about them. I have two of them in college, one out of college. Um, my wife is a huge supporter of us. She's like the rock behind everything. It really is. I mean, it's, it's a, it's an incredible thing to be able to work with your family and everybody kind of strive towards the same goal. Yeah. You are blessed. My friend, the, uh, rocket family farms is not just a name, not just a name, not just a name. Uh, excellent answer. Thank you. That I was, uh, that was a great question. Um, the next one I have is from, and I hope I say this right, uh, Spectrue. And uh, Spectrue says, I grew strawberry, banana, and DJ gold, even one of those blood orange sorbets. Amazing terpenes and therapeutic highs. What do you recommend from your lineup that's more, quote, floral-esque? I just finished some lavender, going to pop some black sugar rose soon. Yasmin is my holy, grain, holy grail strain, although I'm also hearing things about lilac diesel. So I'm wondering if you have, uh, he's looking for a recommendation out of your lineup that has more of uh, that floral uh, mm-hmm. kind of terpene profile. You know, our um, our new line of, uh, or it's not that new now, but um, our strawberry uh, strawberry banana juice line that we, we just put out um, of regs. Um, there's a few in there like Loco Berry and um, LA Juice. Um, even the Camarosa, some of these that you that, that are in there are really floral and um, the terpenes are incredible. And the, the vigor on a lot of those, uh, that that whole line is incredible. I mean, they grow perfectly symmetrical plants. There's no weird anything about them. They're it's just everything. They're they're very, very good. Um, I would go with one of those. 
Okay, cool. Uh, and then I just have one more from Old Hippie 1958. I'm a big Tangy fan, grown it several times. Do they have plans for that line? What crosses hybrids plan? Yeah, that's actually a great question because we're right in the middle of it. We uh, do have plans for the line. We are releasing new tangies uh, even now. We just in, we just uh, introduced the Tangy Inferno and a bunch of uh, other Tangy crosses, even ones with an African haze. And, and these are available right now as free packs um, for the time being on the website, but they will go into packs. Uh, we are currently working on Tangy 2.0. Uh, Tangy oh. 2.0 is has been in the works for over two years, over two years, because I'm super picky on it. And um, we're trying to make a, a beautiful, sweet orange Tangy that checks all the boxes. Uh, one of the main boxes to check is the the resin production, easily collectible resin. Um, we we want to hit, you know, four or five percent at least on the, re on the rosin end. Um, you know, and I want to get the, the terpene profile right and the structure right and everything about it right before I release it. And we're, we're very close and, uh, that's going to be a, a great release. Uh, we also have the plans of making, um, or, or not making, but bringing back, um, a lot of our classic tangy strains. Um, we're going to get those back onto the menu in regular and femme form. And, uh, and, uh, we have a bunch of hybrids of that and we just, we also about two months ago, we're just testing them now. We just uh, pulled off a, a room of Clementine Tangy times mm -hmm. like fifty different things. So those are in the um, in the in the works right now. We're we're doing testing on those, and usually our testing consists. It usually takes about a year. Sometimes I'll only do indoor and greenhouse, but usually I'll do indoor greenhouse and outdoor. Mm -hmm. have all the information on it and then we'll and then we'll release it very cool is um are you it sounds like are you able to do like pretty good sized runs with those things and the part of the, the length of time yeah yeah well i mean generally for the breeding projects there are smaller runs but smaller to me is is still really large so it will we'll generally make enough to make somewhere in the range of 500 to a thousand packs of of each variety um, will be, will be so, so about 6,000 seeds, six to 10,000 seeds of, of each variety. And then okay. that we'll do the testing on it. And if it deems worthy enough to go into packs, then we'll pack it into packs. If we sell out of it or something like that, because it's so popular, then we'll make it again. Gotcha. Very cool. So we'll keep an eye out for that. Is there a particular time of year that you release stuff like in the fall or not really no we we try to release stuff once a month um because we make so many. okay so we release three or four five strains a month a lot of times the stuff that we we give away for free like as testers and um if you buy a pack of seeds you get like these testers or something a lot of those have already been tested and okay. we're about to put them into packaging and it's a way for the public to get these genetics before anyone else and I, yeah that's that's it's just kind of a cool thing that we do like that i think it's a really cool thing and it's a good way um that you can hopefully get some feedback from folks who grow out those freebie packs and uh you know it, it's always like the uh 
the expectations are not as high when you get a freebie pack. And, um, you know, I've seen a bunch of really nice stuff come out of freebie packs and it's like yeah. the best surprise in the world, right? Cause you don't expect anything. And then all of a sudden it's this amazing plot. So that's very cool. Yeah. People like free seeds. You know, I've noticed that with the growing communities, people do anything for free seeds. Definitely. <laughs> well, um, I have uh, one last question for you, my friend. What do you do when you're not growing? I fish. Oh, <laughs> nice. I'm a big fisherman too. I, uh, I, what, I have a trout? Brown, what do you do? I, I do a little trout fishing. I, I do bass fishing too. Um, I, any aspect. I go on the ocean. Um, we go up to Alaska. Nice. Uh, uh, once a year, we go up to Alaska for two or three weeks and we uh, bring back a bunch of salmon. I, I spend a lot of time in Hawaii. And uh, do a lot of fishing out there for, um, you know, mahi mahi and, and wahoo. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm an outdoors person. I like to to be outside. I like to get to the end of the mountains. I like to, you know, summertime. I love it. I'm swimming. I'm fishing. I'm outside. Yeah. Awesome. That's that. I do a lot of that too. I wish I could be fishing right now. It's uh, I'm in Colorado, and uh, it is January 31st today. And it's about 62 degrees and sunny. And, uh, man, it looks like a perfect day to go fishing until you walk into the water and it's all frozen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Got to wait a little longer till it melts. But, um, yeah, I, I love uh, grabbing some of that that personal uh, home ground and the canyon and throwing some flies or some lures. That's a good time. Right. <laughs> Me too. So, well, hey, thank you so much for coming by and spending some time with us um just massive respect for you uh i've seen your your name and your work literally for decades just in my own you know uh, surfing around online looking for information on weed um grown tangy before um and uh yeah man it was uh the ones that we had we had uh it, it was a just beautiful plants really colorful um i mean it just looked different than than anything else and it just stinks it, it just has that unique smell and uh you know everybody kind of has a smile on their face when you bring that around and open up the bag and so thank you very much for doing all of that and and sharing uh sharing your love with everybody man well i appreciate it and thanks for having me on and uh you know hopefully we can get together and uh, burn one in person soon absolutely you know we do have a uh cup happening june 1st out here in colorado and uh if you're not doing anything come out here and uh and hang out. It's a grower's cup. It's a little different. Um, you don't get like a big corporate sponsorship if you win or anything. You just get some community respect. But uh, mostly it's just a bunch of, for me, it's uh, kind of like uh, a kind of a throwback to the old cannabis, not old, but let's say the, the good cannabis community and culture where, you know, it's a bunch of stoners and growers and everybody just has their own, you know, bud that they grew and they want to come and share it with everybody else and, and talk and just kind of hang out and uh, that's just such a really good time. Uh, the competition's cool too. There's a lot of great buds, but uh, it's really more about uh, the vibe and and just the growers kind of hanging out. And so, uh, yeah, man, if, if you do have some time, we'd love to have you out. Um, if not, we I think we're going to try to get um, out your way these days. Um, I know the Emeralds moved to Oakland, right? Yeah, I believe do you so. participate in that. Uh, I do. I, I've been to a bunch of them. I have it in years because um, do, uh, or when they shut down all the cups, you know, in California, yeah. it was like, it was kind of, 
weird but yeah all i was all over the emerald cup and all the high times cups and all the chalices and everything there must so uh, let me ask you one more question so is there do you have local uh events happening where just so i'm gonna call it the cannabis community kind of gets together down here uh you're probably you probably know adam dunn um he's he is a wonderful community leader um, out of Denver, and um, he really goes out of his way to kind of bring growers and summers together. Um, his alternative farmers market is a good example, um, and it, it's really cool, man. It's not like a big corporate event or anything. It's pretty low key. Um, it's very community driven, and I'm curious if you guys have things like that out there still, or if it's all been kind of taken over by the the bigger players and the, and the regulations. No, there's there's uh, there's you know smaller things like that going on all the time over here all over california you know little seshes farmers markets just little, little Farmer, okay farmers markets you know and yeah okay yeah i was even going to uh to donate a whole bunch of uh uh clones and plants um to this uh, farmers market up in uh in uh, grass valley this next year to uh you know, go towards like the fire victims and all this stuff. I was just going to take a bunch of, of clones up there and then just sell them right on the street right there. And then just give all the money to the charity, you know? That's cool. Yeah. We need more stuff like that. So I would encourage you to do that. And, uh, you know, that's a good idea. We should probably do something like that down here. But, um, cool, man. Well, thanks again for joining us and, uh, have a wonderful day and, uh, come on back soon. Uh, let us know when you got something new and exciting to drop, man. We'll chat about it. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Take care. You too.